it's wild because men are supposed to be today, right? In, in, in pop culture, men are supposed to be weak and dumb in every area of their life. Yeah. Except if a woman's abusing them, they're suddenly supposed to ignore it and be strong. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's not how this works. Welcome to the Father's State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. A quick reminder, the Father's Day is on Subscribe Star. So click the link in the video description to support our work. And I am forever grateful. Thank you so much, folks, for your support. Uh, the merch and all that, I am grateful. I have with me Nick Riceda. Nick Riceda. And Nick is the uh, host of a YouTube channel, Riceda Law. YouTube channel. Nick, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you, man. <laughs> so I was wondering out loud. So you sit there and you observe law cases, right, all day long? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes that's what I do. Uh, when there's when there's a big case that's being broadcast uh, or any case that's interesting, yeah, I'll sit there and watch the entire trial straight through, you know, usually with a whole bunch of people in the audience, hopefully, who are interested in it. Right. And how did you come up with that as a job? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic question. It was, uh, I mean, it was just kind of an accident. Um, I, I mean, I, I do a nighttime, uh, I guess, a radio style show, but on YouTube that covers all sorts of topics. But uh Last year, the Kyle Rittenhouse case was coming up, right. and I'm uh, I'm an attorney. I do a, I do a little bit of criminal defense. Mostly, I do YouTube now. But I was really interested in the Kyle Rittenhouse case because to me, it looked like uh, injustice was being done from the start. The media narrative about the case was entirely wrong from the facts, and it looked like a kid was about to get railroaded. So I thought, hey, if this thing's being broadcast, I'm going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to just let people watch with me and then I'll talk them through what's going on in court and, uh, and maybe people will watch it and a whole bunch of people did. So that's, that's kind of how it worked out. I remember in my twenties, I would, I really enjoyed going to uh, the courthouse and watching different cases in person. Right. And they were yeah. very, very interesting. And I saw, I, you are a practicing attorney in Minnesota and you start, did you, you start creating these uh, videos? Did you ever imagine when you were going through law school, one day I'll be sitting at home doing this? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I'm, uh, I live in a small town. Um, I started law school really late in life uh, because I figured, well, I can do this anywhere. And uh, I could do that in my small town or if we ever moved, right. that's, you know, something I could do. Um, but, uh, I, I plan on being a fully practicing attorney and, and helping clients out. But then I made a video by accident on a, on a case in like a little fan group for, uh, for a, a different podcast. They were going through a lawsuit and I decided to, uh, record a video, but I couldn't figure out how to upload it to the Facebook page. So right. I put it up on YouTube instead. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of people were, <laughs> were like, you need to do this all the time. So it was Amazing. a complete Complete accident. Um, what was your impression of uh, Kyle Rittenhouse' uh, uh, case? And uh, is is it still going on? No, Kyle Rittenhouse is done. And uh, he was did he, he win and all that? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. doing a like a, a lawsuit to get money now, though, right? To be paid back. Uh, they've talked about filing some lawsuits. Like he talked about suing Oprah Winfrey and right. uh, and some media institutions. I haven't seen those lawsuits pop up yet. Oh, but, okay. you know, he's he's got a significant amount of time before he has to worry about it. Yeah, I thought they really treated him wrong. It was horrible the way they treated him. But at a distance, I respect the way that he handled it, though. He seemed to handle it like a man. Yeah, he... He handled it in the way that you hoped you would handle it if you got stuck in that same situation. Yeah. He he only shot people who were attacking him. He didn't, you know, shoot anybody else. He didn't accidentally hit somebody in the crowd. 
Uh, and he, you know, he went to police. He tried to turn himself in yeah. said, Hey, this is what happened. Then they sent him home. He got blamed for that. Of course. <laughs> like, well, why'd you go home? Well, the police told me to go, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he seemed to do just about everything right in that situation. And, and, uh, man, you only, you hope you never end up in that situation, but if you do, you, that's the model behavior right there. What's important to you? Just in general? Yeah, to, to just period. Yeah. When you think about life, what's important to Nick? Uh, sure. Uh, well, family, um, I'm, a, I'm a happily married man. I have five children. Um, you know, building, building a life with them is, uh, is kind of the key. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. I, I think it's our, our responsibility as, uh, as men to do what we can for the people around us. Yeah. Uh, and for me the most, most, most often that's my family. Right. Um, so that's, that's the, the big thing. But aside from that, uh, the big thing for me right now is building anything, building something, doing something that you, you have passion for. Uh, for me, you know, again, I discovered it all late in life, but it's uh, creating this content for, for YouTube and, and having an audience to tell jokes and tell stories to and hopefully drop some, you know, education from time to time. That's, that's what I like doing. It's pretty much all I do. Nice. Are you the head of your wife? I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mo- uh, we, we have a partnership, man. It's uh, and, and I have my roles and she has hers. Uh, you know, she trusts me to, to lead the family financially, to take care of us, to make sure we've got food in the, in the pantry, to make sure we've got gas in our car. And, um, you know, uh, I trust her to, uh, you know, focus on helping out with the kids, uh, primarily keeping the, keeping the house running and, yeah. uh, we homeschool our kids. So oh, she's nice. kind of in charge of that. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a partnership and we have our roles. It's does she you know, obey you most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so I want to get into the Janet Depp case uh very interesting situation but first oh two other questions i think are you a christian yes sir and what do you think about the attack upon christianity in america in that they're trying to completely wipe it out and one of the ways they're wiping it out is by getting rid or trying to get rid of the white christian male in order to wipe out christianity in america Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. The the insidious nature of progressivism is that it happens so slowly on the long on this long timeline that uh, a lot of people don't realize they're in it. Right. It's like the frog in the pot with boiling water. And so we've seen uh, steadily for um, the past several decades, just a decline of value of of Christianity, of traditionalism, um, the breakdown of families. And, uh, and certainly, uh, the, the, the white Christian family is in the crosshairs. I mean, yeah. we, we hear about it every election season. Oh, white evangelicals are this, they're doing this, they're responsible for that. And every one of those things is to pick it apart. And it seems like everything that hits a, a school board meeting these days is an antithesis of a Christian value or a Christian belief. Yeah, it's amazing to see that happen. Why, why do you personally think the uh, white evangelical Christians, preachers, and others are not making loud noise about it? They're not out there on their networks and really trying to stop it. Why is that? Uh, well, I think, you know, I mean, of course you'll find instances of them doing that here and there. Right. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find preachers who are, are happy to address it from the pulpit. Um, uh, the preacher at our church has been pretty pretty vocal lately, not, not on the political front, but just on the value, the values in the Christianity aspect of it. And, um, it's, uh, it's refreshing to see him standing up for it, but I think, you know, the, the churches themselves are being squeezed and when they're being squeezed, I think they get defensive and they worry that, Oh, you know, if I, if I say this thing, I might, you know, I might turn off that family. And then that's, maybe one less donation or one person less in the pew 
And I think they get scared of that. And the, the ironic thing is, I, I think that's what turns more people off is, is yeah. a lack of courage. It is. It's impossible yeah. to believe in God. And, and these people are supposed to be called by God to stand there and tell the truth. Is mm-hmm. it possible to be called by God and have fear or worry about your finance or worry about who's in your church or not? Uh, no, I don't think it's possible to do it. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I attend a men's conference every February and, uh, and one of the speakers a couple years ago, he brought up, I, I don't remember the specific Bible verse, but he said that his model, uh, and, and this really resonated with me, but his model for preaching and for life as a man was, uh, the Bible verse about standing in the gaps. There was a wall, uh, and the wall had some holes and gaps in it. And so the men of the town stood in the gaps to fill it in, yeah, right? So yeah. that the enemy couldn't come in. And for me, that's, uh, that's, that's our job, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's the most masculine thing I can think of is to stand in the gap to protect your own. But you can't stand. You're, you're there with no wall. So you can't do it without courage. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think what you're saying is spot on. Pastors have to be there speaking with courage uh speaking into truth and just saying hey i know there's people who aren't going to like this but it doesn't matter because you cannot like it behind me while i protect you that's (laughs) that's the role that's right one last thing about that when you uh walk the earth when you're out and about yeah and being white are you concerned for your life or knowing that there are people out there who have been brainwashed to hate you simply because you're a white male? Um, not really. I, uh, a long time ago, I resolved to live without fear yeah. <laughs> as much as possible. Nice. And, and I think, I think if you, if you project fear, uh, you become a target. Yeah. And so I, I've been, uh, I, I live in a small town, like I said, so I'm not at that much of a risk, but when I go, when I go into metro areas, when I go do speaking events or whatever, um, you know, I walk around fairly confidently and uh, I'm happy to to be out with my wife. And we haven't run into too many issues. I mean, you know, evil is out there, but I, I think evil preys on on fear and trepidation. No, I totally agree with that. Amazing. Well, good, man. Uh, one last thing, I think. Do you feel that this thing can be turned around or does it seem helpless? No, I, th- I think it can be turned around. I mean, the timeline could be long, but uh, I think what we've seen with Christianity especially is it thrives when it's under attack. Um, the The word of God seems to spread most in places where it's suppressed, right? Yeah, and we right. see big growth in church. We've seen big growth in churches in, in places like China and stuff like that, even where it's illegal. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there will be a sustained attack. There will still be a diminishment. But I think what we'll find is is we'll find a return to roots. We'll find a return to people who are committed. And in that commitment, um, you know, there will be strength and then there will be inspiration for the next generation. Very interesting. You um, so you've been following Amber, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case, right? Yes. And before I get into what you thought about the case and how do you see it now, did you have an impression of of uh, uh, Johnny and Amber pry into this situation? Uh, them personally, no. Uh, I, you know, I, I like Johnny Depp enough as an actor, but I also don't, I probably haven't seen his last four or five movies. Right. Uh, I don't, I didn't watch any of the Pirates movies after the third one because I thought the third one was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was done with that. <laughs> But, you know, I, he, he's had some good movies in the past. Amber Heard, I had no opinion on um, personally as an actress. I just didn't care. Uh, but, but when I heard the story, uh, and it, it kind of didn't pass the sniff test. It was coming around 2018. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of similar stories out there that didn't really hold muster for me. And uh, so I was skeptical of of this idea that this guy was a horrific abuser. Oh, okay. Nice. And so, um, you, did you live stream the whole thing? Yes. The, the entire thing. When Johnny Depp mentioned that he married his mama and he talked about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he talked about his, 
he how mean his mother was to his father, and his father didn't really defend himself and all that. What was your impression when you heard him mention that and talk about that uh, while on the window stand? I mean, I I felt uh, some some sympathy for him. I mean, that was that was a broken choice from a person who was broken. Yeah. You know, I, and and what you'd hope is that he would have over the course of his life realized the profound wrongness of being abused (laughs) and then and and tried to avoid it but uh he was drawn back into it i you know and and that's the sad thing it's and it's not uncommon it's a cycle right abuse uh tends to bring people into abusive relationships yeah when he was talking about how violent and cruel his mother was and how quiet his father was his mother really abused his father and that his father was kind of a quiet shy kind of guy like a beta male um yeah. that happens all the time more and more nowadays than i ever thought of before in the past when i was younger a lot of men end up marrying their mama because they they resent their mothers so you become attracted to what you hate and so you end up marrying your mother and can't deal with her. You just bail out and, and and the mother end up screwing up the kids. When I first heard him say that, I was wondering if the people, if the people on the jury would fall, would believe it. Because when you talk, speak truth about radical women like Amber Heard, you don't know, the people don't normally believe it. They don't normally agree with it. Did you get right. that same impression or similar? Uh, a little bit, you know, you worry about what the jury thinks and especially because they know he's an actor, right? So they, yeah. they think they could think, oh, this guy's telling me a story. This guy's reading a script, uh, any sort of thing like that. So I, I was worried about that because, um, you know, I, I know, I know men that, uh, personally who have dealt with women like that. Yeah. I, I get emails from men all the time because of my show since I, I, my show is not about masculinity, but you know, it's, I'm a man. So you're going to talk about man things from time to time. Yeah, yeah. And so I get, I get guys emailing me talking about relationships that they're in or that they've been in. So, I mean, I've seen it, but, uh, but you never know what the jury experience has been. But I think once Amber Heard took the stand and started telling the story, they could quickly see this chick's crazy. I know, man. What a bitch. <laughs> completely <laughs> completely <laughs> she couldn't even fake not being one it was just nope. so apparent that's all and that's you know what's crazy about about their story and, and the way law works and the way these jury trials works is it's all about believability and credibility so all she had to do in my opinion was tell a believable abuse story yeah. Whether whether it's true or not. And and even if her crazy story is true, no one's going to believe it. Yeah. Because it's it's too intense. So without some pictures and some doctor's reports, you're not going to get there. But if she had told a story about, you know, him just intimidating her all the time, punching her in the stomach from time to time to keep her in control, uh, slapping her, you know, uh, every couple of days and she'd never know when a hit was coming. That type of stuff, I think I think she could have sold that story, but she couldn't be not crazy, even right. for the time she was on the stand. That woman was so crazy. She had I read, I don't know how true it is, that she had to fire her her PR firm that she had been working with because they wouldn't were not helping her with the public, the image in the public. Yeah, yeah she did. And the, the best part of that is is three of the major members of that PR firm that were working with her. They were on Obama's uh, reelection campaign. Wow. So, so, I mean, like these guys kept Obama in office and they couldn't make anybody like Amber Heard. It's <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> an indictment, man. <laughs> That's right. What was uh, were there other interesting points or uh, uh, things you got from this trial you watched and noticed? Well, yeah, I mean, Virginia is an interesting place. Uh, for for this case. And, and a lot of people were confused as to why it was in Virginia since they're both in Los Angeles. And that has to do with uh, the Washington Post is in Virginia. So when she published her op-ed piece, it was in the Washington Post. So they were able to bring it there because you don't want to bring this case in California. Right. Uh, he he would have been, he would have never made it to a jury. He would, no, there is no way. And if he did make it, he would have lost a long time ago. 
because California yeah. is so liberal, especially Los Angeles. Yeah, and I, I think that would have been a, and, and plus they've got that Hollywood culture in there, and and they just they they were you know kind of at the heart of the Me Too movement came out of this Hollywood right. uh, cast of cast of ladies. So there's there's that. The, so that was interesting bringing it into Virginia, and in Virginia you get you get to a jury trial. You it's it's much harder to get it dismissed at the start. But you have seven jurors, whereas in most states you would have 12 and they have to it has to be a unanimous decision, which is uh, that was a a weird sort of thing uh, to kind of find out. This is, you know, in in uh, different states, like I think in Texas, you'd only have to get 10 out of 12 jurors. You wouldn't have to get um, you wouldn't have to get all of them. Right. So that that was neat. Those points of law were were interesting. But then the other part was. You know, they had this mix of in-person uh, witness testimony, and then they had a bunch of these uh, video testimonies that they would play. And those were, um, you know, those were super boring <laughs> to watch, <laughs> but uh, they had to get the information out of them. But I think the, that those video depositions really hurt the credibility of the witness, because I think juries want to see someone show up in court. Right. And, and Amber didn't have anybody at all who would other than the people she paid her expert witnesses she didn't have anybody willing to show up and speak on her behalf all of her friends uh said during their their testimony they're not her friends anymore whoa and, and it's you know you <laughs> kind of wonder they were going to say that yeah i mean they 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 had recorded these videos you know like a month uh, or uh usually uh, up to a year before the trial actually started so they knew it was in them um and uh, they knew that people weren't going to come come out to the courthouse to support her, but it's you. You wonder if it's her who's awful, <laughs> and they just couldn't stand to be around her, which kind of looks like that might be the case. But also, you know, you wonder if just the people that she associates with were kind of social parasites. Right. That uh, once once Johnny Depp's money was out of the out of the picture, you know, Amber Heard wasn't that useful to him anymore, and that's kind of a it's kind of a sad state to be in. Yeah, it is. Um, and you mentioned that about having the, the trial and holding the trial in Los Angeles. I uh, took Jesse Jackson to court because Ooh. he, um, he, his son, he and his son and Judge Matthews attacked me. Uh, when the son attacked me physically, and Jackson and the other cursed me out in an event here, and we sure. we had a hard time finding uh, uh, people to sit on the trial to jury. That did not yeah. agree with Jesse Jackson. Everybody and their mama seemed to be liberal, and they agreed with him. And we finally found a few who did not agree. But in L.A., it's hard to not, it's hard to find conservatives to sit on different cases nowadays. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, everybody just uh, the the weird thing is you get a mix in L.A. I think you got people who are hardcore liberal, right, right? and yeah. and believe it. And then you've got a bunch of other people who don't really care, but they just kind of blow with the wind. Right. And since since the wind blows so heavy left, they just kind of <laughs> end up that way. Yeah. We ended up getting a lawyer who was a big mistake. One lawyer on that case, he sat on the jury. And after the trial was over, some of the people said that they were influenced by him to to go with Jesse Jackson rather than against so oh. They were not able to stand on their own. That's awful. So I'm glad that he took it out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, what was the most effective thing about this trial, in your opinion? Um, well, I think it was uh, Johnny Depp's attorney, Camille Vasquez. Uh, I think she, one, she was uh, she was very very competent on the, uh, you know, on her examination and cross examination of witnesses. She did a, a fantastic job. Um, she did the cross-examination of Amber Heard. And I think this is critical. Um, when you've got a, a female uh, alleging that they're a victim of domestic violence, you have to be really intentional in how you approach it. Now, they had the fortunate aspect of it, uh, of this being, you know, the whole thing is about her lying about this domestic violence. So right. she's a liar. Is there, that's the narrative they want to push. So they get to go after her really hard. You know, if this is a, an actual domestic abuse criminal case, you can't go after the victim, even if they're lying. You, you, you know, 
if there's evidence that they're a victim, you got to be really careful because the jury's going to be really sympathetic. But since the whole narrative was that she's a liar, you, you go after her hard and you do it with a female attorney <laughs> because <laughs> you let you let a woman attack another woman on on the stand. Because if you if you have a guy doing it, you know, you'll get some jurors who are they'll just find that improper. Yeah. I don't think a man should talk to a woman that way. I know. Cam Camille Vasquez was able to shut her down. Uh, and the other thing uh, about Camille Vasquez that I think really helped is she's a, she's a pretty woman, right? She's, she's an attractive lady. Yeah. And when you've got Amber Heard, who's a movie star, uh, a former model, you know, she's a conventionally attractive woman too, but also a narcissist. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you've got another female in the room who is at least uh, as attractive or even more attractive than her, you know, that pissed her off. And I think that, that that piece of it was really, really effective in um, in breaking through her shell and, and exposing her as just this uh, manipulative, uh, for lack of a better word, bitch to the jury. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that that woman went after her really hard, too. I was surprised because normally you don't see women fight like that. Right. And uh, she went after Amber Heard so hard that they were like, she must be dating John and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> She has to be dating, but she wasn't dating him, was she? As far as you know, uh, not that I know of. I, be I believe she's dating. Um, I think she has a long. Uh, she's dating someone else. Oh. Um, that was that was reported at some point. Uh, I don't know how long the relationship's been going on, but you know that's uh, that's the media, right? Yeah. Like that's the the mainstream media will uh, if if a woman steps out of line. Right. Yeah. Then th the mainstream media will become the most sexist organization on the planet. Yeah. Well, she she's out of line. Therefore, she must be must be dating this man. It would be completely unethical for her to be in a in a a sexual relationship with a client. And so, you know, that that had to be the story. Amazing. <laughs> they uh, she went after her so hard, man. Um even the experts, they, uh, the local news will have these expert women on to talk right. about, well, they must be dated, right? And the experts are like, yeah, I saw them give a hug. Amber, Amber, <laughs> I mean, uh, Janet and the lawyer hug. I, I looked at the hug and I can tell it was something going on. It was just so like, like they're lovers. I'm like, these experts have no idea what they're talking about. Not at all. Uh, look, I, I don't have an extensive history as an attorney. I worked small town. I took, you know, whatever case you can kind of find. Uh, and I did not do a ton of in-court work, but I can tell you after any, any hearing that you go to, uh, where you win that hearing for your client, it doesn't matter if they're a man, if they're a woman, if yeah. they're old, if they're young, you're just like, there's a big rush of energy and adrenaline. And when a day goes good, you you give people hugs, man, because right. because you're in this, you're in this this trench together. You get to know this person, you get to believe believe their story and work with this person, and you're trying to bring them some measure of justice. When things go right, you know you you hug them. It doesn't mean you're sleeping with them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a mess. Uh, I wanted to ask you: Were there any big? Uh, well, what was the biggest car wreck moment? Uh, in this trial, especially for Amber. Uh, the one thing I want to start out with, I, I was surprised that, well, that's I was not aware of it, that Hugh uh, got on the stand. Amber Heard was called to the stand by her lawyer. Is that normal? Uh, yeah. In, in civil cases, uh, a lot of times what you need the person to do is to get up and tell their story. Oh, okay. Um, and in, in this case in particular, since it's about defamation and it's about who's telling the truth, what you really want to do is convince the jury that your person is believable. Uh, you know, the, and, and for me, I, I said from the get go, and I still think it's true that the, the outcome of this case depended on if the jury just generally believed Johnny Depp and liked him or believed Amber Heard and liked her. So you, you want to put them on the stand to, to build that relationship with right. the jury and tell the story. But the problem is they had Amber heard. <laughs> yeah. I was <laughs> thinking at this moment, maybe they should have just kept her quiet and, and not speak at all. So you wouldn't get the right impression about her. Yeah. And, and I think 
what what we saw and what some of the other lawyers on uh, who watched with me, I think they agreed. That's the reason they called her so early in the case, because they, you know, they went into Amber's side of the case after Johnny Depp's side rested. They called that crazy doctor lady in. Uh, and then once she got off the stand, they called Amber Heard second. And for me, I would have waited to call like if not considering Amber Heard, but just in general. Right. I'd want my client to be one of the last people to go because yeah. I'd want my I'd want the jury to have the impression of my client as a victim, as this uh, person who's suffering through this thing, uh, you know, that she's being falsely accused or defamed or whatever. That's the narrative I'd want to push. Uh, so for me, I would have put her sister on first and her on last. But then in this case, you have just the reality of these people and the facts were just not good. So I think they they put her up at the front to try and bury her uh, personality behind the rest of the testimony. Yeah, I um very interested. I um I remember when she they showed a picture of her that where he's supposed to have physically attacked her. She had a bruised face. I think yeah. an arm. I didn't believe that. It looked like she put that on herself, and it didn't seem real. I didn't believe that. Yeah, I think that that was one of her biggest problems. Is um, you know they would show these pictures and talk about this horrific abuse that he he did, and then they they pull it up and it's like, well, it's a little yellow spot <laughs> like right here. It's like you're talking about a man punching you until you're unconscious with rings on his hand. And you've got a little, maybe a little yellow bruise right here. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Looks like you hit a cabinet or something with your head. That, I thought maybe uh, her doll me. had lit on the head or something, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so light. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was nothing. That was a, a big problem for their case. And, and that, that bruise on the arm, she talked about, oh, he got that bruise from, from being grabbed. It's anybody who's been grabbed knows that uh, if you get grabbed hard enough to get bruised, the bruising happens where the fingertips are because that's where all the pressure is. Yeah. This was this like round thing. Like, <laughs> it looks like you got hit by a softball or something. It doesn't look like you were grabbed yeah. at all. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another, and, and I want to know what you think about this. Uh, sure. Current moment is when they called Johnny Depp's ex-girlfriend up. I think it was ex and they had somehow or another said that Johnny Depp had pushed her down the stairs and right. was violent with her. And she got up and she's like, no, that's not true at all. I <laughs> fell down the stairs and I was yelling and he came and helped me. He didn't cause me. What was that all about? Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. That was Kate Moss. And um, there was uh, this story from years and years ago that Johnny Depp had with Kate Moss where she had fallen down the stairs, like you said. Uh, but what happened is apparently Johnny Depp had told that story to Amber Heard at some point in her relationship. And then she created, it seems, I, I was asking other people if we could find any evidence that this rumor about Johnny Depp pushing Kate Moss down the stairs existed. And we couldn't, maybe it's out there, but we couldn't find anything before when Amber Heard told that story in the uh, in the trial that happened earlier in the UK. Right. So so she seems to have taken this memory uh, and twisted it and created this nasty rumor about Johnny Depp and then tried to say that it was something that she heard from somewhere. But it uh, that that was that was ugly. But, yeah, Kate Moss coming out and actually saying, yeah, this is my ex. Uh, and and he was never, never violent towards me at all. And, and you found that just with witness after witness, even the ones against Johnny Depp, they would ask him, have you ever seen Johnny Depp be violent to anybody? No. Have you seen him be violent to Amber Heard? No. Well, I mean, you'd think at some point somebody would have seen something if this right. was going on the way she, she told it. Yeah. But the, uh, the real biggest car wreck moment uh, of the case, though, actually happened before the case got to the jury. Amber Heard filed that counterclaim against Johnny Depp, uh, where she says that his attorney uh, lied about her in an article. Right. And, and because she filed that counterclaim, one of the things she said was she suffered emotional damages, right? That that that's what why she was entitled to recovery was emotional damages. She asked for a hundred million dollars. And because of that, 
that's why we had uh, the psychiatrists on the stand and they had done mental evaluations of Amber Heard. If she had not filed that counterclaim, her mental health would not have been at issue in the trial and they wouldn't have had, uh, you know, uh, the, the doctors coming up to, to talk about how she had PTSD or didn't have PTSD, how she has these personality disorders. They wouldn't have been able to do that. And I, th- I think that really, really killed their case. Why didn't her lawyer know that in advance that it was going to hurt the case? And you would think that the lawyer would have known that. I know that, and I'm black and slow. I knew it. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think her lawyers probably did, probably advised her that it was a risk. But she said, hey, this, this guy is suing me for $50 million. I'm going to sue him back. I'm the victim. I'm going to do this. And we, we saw hallmarks of her having a ton of control over the case yeah. throughout the whole trial. She swapped out a couple lawyers probably because they said stuff like, this is a bad idea, you know? Oh, I <laughs> and, see. And sometimes you, you get a client who believes that they know better than, right. than the lawyer how to manage things. And, you know, to, to her credit, she's managed her career and her image up until, up until all this. So she probably thought she could deal with it. She probably thought she, well, I'm pretty successful. I did this thing. But uh, the, the best part of success is humility and realizing your limits and knowing when you need someone right, else man. to take things over. Yeah. What an ego. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing about the girlfriend saying, saying, no, he did not push me down before they put it on the stand. Do they get a chance to talk to the person, the person that's coming up to me? And they could have asked her, did he push you down the stairs before they put on the stand? And she would have said no. Right. Uh, sometimes. In this case, it happened in a little bit of a, a weird way. And this was, this was actually kind of unique to the Johnny Depp case. So they were not able, they would not have been able to list Kate Moss and bring her in at the beginning of trial. Because if, if Johnny Depp wanted to call Kate Moss in during his case, she would have just been boosting his credibility, saying, oh, he's a good guy or whatever. And you're not really allowed to do that unless... Your credibility is attacked. Right. So they were only able to bring her because Amber Heard mentioned her on the stand. Oh. So in her testimony, when she said, all I could think about was Kate Moss. And what you saw happen was Johnny Depp's team immediately. Uh, I think his main lawyer, Ben Chu, he went like this. He looked to the he looked <laughs> back to the other lawyer and he went, yes. You know, they were they were excited because now in their rebuttal. Uh, part they could bring Kate Moss in and they couldn't do that beforehand but right. she opened the door to it by by talking about it so now they could say nope that's not the story and so it, it was another one of those uh those mistakes um they could have tried to contact Kate Moss but she wasn't on the initial uh, I don't believe she was on the initial witness list so they wouldn't have had the ability to do a deposition because she probably wasn't going to come in unless Amber screwed it up Interesting. Um, what were your impression of her lawyers? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I, I thought um, Elaine Bredehoft, who is her main counsel, uh, I thought she was absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, she she did the opening argument. She did uh, the closing argument and she did a lot of the witness examination. And both of her arguments were rambling messes. You could not follow the story she was telling. It sounded like you know, it sounded like if you uh, like if you walked into a book club and the ladies there were like eight glasses of wine deep and they wanted <laughs> to tell you a story about how their nephew went to med school <laughs> or something. Right. Like, is this, and, it, and they started involving everybody that, yeah. that they've ever met in the story. That's what it felt like. Uh, and and I think it was really hard for the jury to follow. And it came across really poorly. But even her her witness examinations. It was like she couldn't figure out how to ask a question like a lawyer. And that was another place where Johnny Depp's lawyer, Camille Vasquez, when uh, when Elaine Bredehoft was questioning Amber Heard, Camille Vasquez just kept shutting her down with objections over and over and over to the point where she just eventually closed her book and, and said no further questions and sat down. And she hadn't asked really anything at all. It was uh, she was a disaster for the case. Maybe um, I'm wrong about that, but I was thinking that 
maybe her lawyer, Amber Heard's lawyer, didn't, even, didn't believe her either, because the lawyer has to be somewhat convinced that your case is good and that you're going to be uh, a good witness. And they have to believe sure. in the case. Now, I didn't get the impression that her lawyer believed her. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's hard to say because as a lawyer, you know, if you don't believe the client, you still have to fight for him, right? I know, so but you, it's harder though when you don't believe him, right? You have to make up stuff. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and and we, uh, some of my, you know, my guests and I were talking about this, and and we came to a similar conclusion. When you looked at Johnny Depp with his lawyers, I mean, you mentioned that he hugged uh, Camille Vasquez, but. But he also, you know, he had really good moments with with his male attorney, Ben Chu. Yes. He seemed to have good relationships with everybody on the team. And you looked at them and you felt like these people, you know, he's their client, but he's also their friend. And when you realize that he's been working with these people for about three years, uh, quite a bit, that you develop bonds and friendships with right. your clients. Yeah. But you looked at Amber Heard's side and it felt cold all the time. Yep. It felt cold. Who did? So... So I think they're I think you're onto something. I, I don't know that they fully, you know, they might have believed some bits of it, but I, I think they were consistently surprised by some of the stuff that she said on the stand, I think, which is a mistake. I think she was kept and I, I've noticed this with people who do these accusations. They make an accusation, it doesn't really stick. So then the accusation gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they tell the bigger story. Until people go, oh, that's awful. And then they believe them, right? Yeah. And and that's the hook. I think Amber Heard was trying to do that as she felt her case slipping away in real time. Amazing. I think that was, that was hard for her attorneys. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I just didn't get the impression that they believed her either. And yeah. I know that you might not know if the, the client is telling the 100% truth, but you got to have some faith that they are telling a little truth about a situation to help get you rolling there. Um, I wanted to ask, um, did, did this case end in the way that you thought it would, or did you have another impression that it would end, how it would end? Well, it's, uh, you know, my, my impression changed throughout the trial. When going into it, a defamation case for a public figure like Johnny Depp is so hard to win that I thought, well, there's, you know, He's going to get there. He's, he's got a jury. He's going to tell his story. And that is the victory. But he's probably going to lose the case. That yeah. was what I was thinking. As the trial went on and as Amber Heard got on the stand and started telling the story, and as there was no evidence for her side, and as witness after witness came out in support of Johnny Depp, and all of their stories were consistent, never hit anybody, never violent to anybody, always a generous, kind guy, seems to, and, and you could watch it. You know, as he's going into the courtroom, he'll shake people's hands and stuff and just spend that extra second of time with people. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I'm no, I'm starting to get the impression that this guy is believably just kind of cordial and I don't get a violent sense from him. And then you have the audio coming in where she's getting mad that he runs away from fights (laughs) and she's she's berating him for not sitting there and hitting her. And it's like, wait. Okay, so this isn't adding up. So then when that, you know, as that changed, I thought he would win. Uh, by, the, by the end, I was like, Johnny Depp's going to win on all three of his statements. It's going to be a clean sweep. The, the big question is, will the jury give him, you know, uh, $50 million like he asked? I thought they'd give him $7 million, um, but they ended up giving him more. Right. The big surprise for me, though, was that they did have one of the statements uh, that his lawyer had made, Adam Waldman, they found that to be defamatory against Amber Heard. And that came way out of left field for me. I didn't think any jury on earth would find those statements to be uh, defamatory. Right. They um, um, they ended up uh, giving him like, I think he's going to end up with like eight, eight point something million. Yeah, 8,350,000. Because he had to give her uh, like five million out of his money that the big money. Uh, Two two million. Two million. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, two million out of the big money. Yeah. So the way the the way it broke down was he was awarded ten million in compensatory damages. So that's where the jury says we think he lost about this much money from work. Uh, then he they gave him five million dollars in punitive damages, but Virginia puts a cap on that. They don't tell the jury about the cap, but they put a cap on it at three hundred and fifty thousand. So. 
They awarded him five million, but it's, that gets reduced to three fifty. So he's he ultimately gets ten million three hundred fifty thousand there. Yeah. But then since she was awarded the two million, that gets kind of taken off of it. What a mess! Uh, I was rooting for him all the way, man, for many reasons, yeah. and one was that you don't normally, if it's happening, I'm not aware, but you don't normally hear men or see men going to court to defend themselves against these women, and just assume that the man is guilty. And that is, that's it, right? Yeah. And so I was rooting for him for that reason as well. Me too. Um, Hashtag me too. (laughs) But, uh, but no, uh, the reason though is in, in some of these articles were coming out during the trial. uh, You'll hear from defamation experts, right? These attorneys who've been doing defamation for 20 or 30 years, they'll come out and they'll say, I would have advised Johnny Depp not to bring this to trial because he's just drawing attention to the bad facts of his case and how he's, he's this awful person. This is what this dummy was saying, you know, uh, (laughs) halfway through the trial. Yeah. Well, egg, egg on his face because Johnny Depp wins the judgment. And I think Johnny Depp won the public opinion as well on this. Yeah. But, but these people are stuck in an age you know, uh, they're stuck 30 and 40 and 50 years ago in these old ideas about how media works. But as you know, as I know, social media changed the game on all this. It does. Uh, because now, um, you know, 40 years ago, NBC would have been reporting on the Johnny Depp trial and nobody else. Right. So it would yeah. have been lens through a news organization. But when they got cameras in the courtroom and now you've got, uh, you know, shows like mine or, or friends of mine who are streaming this thing. And, and even people who, uh, who are not lawyers, they're just all watching this. They get to see it. They get to hear it. And they get to judge it for themselves rather than let a, a, some dumb journalist judge, judge for them. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and they go, no, I, I believe Johnny Depp. I think, you know, uh, if, if these so-called experts uh, can't, can't understand why a public person on social media uh, and and in mass media would want to take this thing public, then they just don't understand the environment that we're in anymore. I think that's why, no, finish your point. Yeah, the the last thing is, and I think there's a lot of men who have been in Johnny Depp's situation who have gotten that very, very bad advice. Uh, and, And my opinion is if you have a public platform that is substantial, then you need to leverage and utilize that public platform to defend yourself. Um, cause, cause we see what, if the truth is on your side, like if you're beating women, probably don't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're not, if you're not a bad guy and you've been completely maligned and defamed, then you've got to go public and defend yourself. Yeah. In my opinion. Amazing. I, um, um, one other concern I had for a minute, cause it takes a lot to make me a little nervous. Right. It's when, sure. the, when the fans of Johnny Depp start showing up at the courts and they were really greeting him. They wanted autographs and things. I thought that might influence the jury. It would hurt him, him a little bit, but it did not. Yeah, it was, it was risky that that, would, uh, that that would be the case. But inside the courtroom, at least, uh, the judge, Judge Oscarotti uh, there in Virginia, she did keep a very well-controlled courtroom. Yeah. And and it was kind of surprising because despite the spectacle of it all, you got like alpacas out in the courthouse <laughs> lawn and stuff. Yeah. But despite all of that inside the courtroom, which is where the jury is hearing the evidence and most of the time is spent, there was really only one time where the judge had to kind of warn people to keep it down and keep their reactions quiet or she would have to clear the courtroom. And then there was uh, there was only one other outburst where where a woman this wasn't on uh, camera, but. Some of the people I talked to who were in the courtroom, there was a woman who was there and she like yelled out, Johnny, it's your baby. Take <laughs> you need to take care of your baby. And she had a baby with her. Uh, she got thrown out of she got thrown out of the court. But I don't think the jury was there for that. When oh. that happened. So the judge kept a very good control of inside the courtroom. And that's that's what you can do. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, there was a spectacle. It was concerning, but the judge kept it clamped down. Yeah, I saw one report where people were lining up and for hours waiting waiting to get into the court. And so I was a little concerned about that, but I'm glad it went the way it did. Oh, one other thing I want to ask you about that, then I got to put you on the hot seat. Uh, All right. <laughs> um, 
the Mean Too crowd, pretend, speaking of Mean Too, pretend to be all nervous and upset now that this trial is going to hurt other women who have been abused and blah, 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 mess. What do you think about all that? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, the, the problem is the person who hurts the women that are being abused is the woman who lies about being abused. Yes, I that's agree. Who, that's who causes the harm, not the guy who says, hey, wait a minute, but I never hit her. Not once did I hit or abuse this woman. I'm now being accused. I'm being destroyed. What, he's supposed to fall on her sword or uh, fall on that sword because, <laughs> yeah. because she made a false accusation? No, the false accusation does the damage, not people calling it out. Yeah. Do you think there will come a time when the world stop assuming that men are guilty just because the woman said it? Yeah, I, 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 one, I hope so. But two, I, I do think that it'll happen. I think what we've seen over the past couple of years uh, with, um, you know, with the major world issues that we've had uh, with the, the 2020 election stuff, with um, critical race theory and things going into public schools, yeah. with uh, the gender identity stuff going into public schools, and then combine that with COVID when all these kids got sent home and the parents suddenly saw it. And, and then you also had the, uh, the other parts of COVID with the mandates on masks and not being able to go outside and all these curfews. I think people got a lot more concerned about, do I even live in a free country anymore? Yeah. Then they're worried about Me Too. And I, I think Me Too is losing power um, from where this was back in 2018 when she made these claims to now. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by that because we, we should not – you should – you should believe people if they're just asking for some support, right? If, right. They, if they say, hey, I've been hurt and, and I, could use some, I could use some prayer, I could use some counseling, great. You know, you, you can believe their story and take them at their word. When they say, okay, now that I got prayer and counseling, now I need you to go after this other person and tear them down because they hurt me. Now <laughs> you go, well, now I need, I need some evidence now. That's right. And so we, we, we don't believe when it comes to destroying lives, we don't just believe and listen, we believe evidence. And so if, if you've got evidence for it, uh, you know, that's when it, that's when it comes out, but you know, to women or men who are out there who are in these relationships, the critical part of it, go to the police, go get help, get help during it. Yeah. Don't try and come back years later because if you didn't have the evidence, no one's going to believe you. And if you are being abused, you need to get out of that situation. Uh, you know, no man or woman deserves to sit there and, and be abused, right? Yeah, I always <laughs> tell men the moment a woman hit him or verbally abused, as they call it, call the cop right then, have the cop come pick her up, take her away, and throw away the key. Because a lot of men, they do make the mistake of not reporting it. Mm -hmm. and, and then the woman can just lie and make it up, and there's no proof because he didn't say anything. They need to start reporting that when the women attack them, for sure. A lot of men tend not to do that. They won't report it. Yeah, well, they, they've been shamed into thinking that they're supposed to accept abuse. I know. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, and, Ain't that and much that's... shaming in the world? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it, it, it's wild because men are supposed to be today, right, in, in pop culture, men are supposed to be weak and dumb in every area of their life. Yeah. Except if a woman's abusing them, they're suddenly supposed to ignore it and be strong. It's like, wait, that's not how this works. I know. If, if you, you either need men to be strong or you need them to be weak. They can't be weak in all of the areas where it matters and strong in this one area that protects a certain group of people. I no. know. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, men have been told these things for so long. They've been told they can't be abused. Uh, well, you're big and scary and she's not. So how could she even hurt you? It's not about the pain. It's about the control. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen horrible things as a result of men being convinced not to defend themselves. They bring out the worst in the women because the woman knows that she can curse him out, beat him, and do whatever she wants and get away with it. I've seen it in airports. I've I, I seen men be, quote-unquote, abused all over the place. And growing up, I never thought for a second that I would see something like that happen to men that men would even agree to that. I would never agree to that. That's not 
that much convincing in the world where I would let a man or woman attack me and I do nothing about it. It just doesn't make any sense. And the crazy part about it is it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. You you see it all over the place. I mean, it's not like, well, you've seen it, but I've never seen it. The listeners haven't seen it. Everywhere you go, you will find some lady and some dude walking with his shoulders slumped and his head down while she's nagging at him and and berating him in public. And it's like, you are in public. That is your, that is your man. That's your partner. And if he were doing this to you, it would be, it would be a bad look. It would, it would reflect poorly on his integrity. It reflects at least, you know, as poorly on your integrity. And I, I cannot believe that so many men will sit there in public and tolerate that. I know. Uh, I, I, I like to hope I would just, you know, walk away at that point. <laughs> like I, you, but you'd think you'd never get into that relationship because it seems like it would show up early on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. two quick things. One is what do you think about this black woman that Joe, Joe Biden recommended for the U.S. Supreme Court? This woman is not qualified. She's not fit to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. They only put her there because she's a liberal black female who doesn't know what a woman is. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the the trick, the the way we all knew this was going to happen was when Joe Biden said it, right? Yeah. I'm going to appoint a black woman justice. It's like, wait, <laughs> shouldn't you be focused more on the justice part of it? And then, you know, whatever they may end up being is fine. But he told us flat out that his first two selection criteria were black woman. So that automatically, and that's unfair to her. Yeah, right, it is. That, whatever her qualifications may be, that's unfair to her because he just told her, "I don't care what you do; I just care what you what you look like." I just need um, you to be black and a female, right? <laughs> uh, but once her, you know, once we started seeing her defense of uh, of se- you know sexual abusers of of kids, I mean that, and the way that that those things started coming out, and and big credit to the the senators who called her out on it and at least exposed it to the public. I mean, you know, they, uh, the Republicans, when you've got a Mitt Romney in there, you don't have enough power to keep her out uh, of, of the Supreme court appointment, but at least the public knows who this person is and, uh, and where they stand on, on this issue of, of abusive kids and, and exploitation of kids. I mean, I was sickened and disgusted by what I saw Uh, to me that, you know, that sort of position that she had disqualified her outright. What a mess. I was a little uh, surprised they confirmed her after all that came out. But when I realized the type of government we have now, I was no longer surprised. We don't we yeah. don't have a good government at all right now. No, we, we don't have a good government. And, and uh, you know, we we have men and women who are in the highest levels of our government. Right. These senators. Uh, and, and there are people who would rather be a senator than president because you arguably have more power, especially as you you're in there long enough. Right. We we have these men and women like Mitt Romney who they have no courage, yeah. no conviction, and uh, and and refuse to stand up to protect uh, protect our country from bad decisions by Joe Biden. And that's their job. Yeah. Their job is to be a check on his power. They had the opportunity to do it, and they just they wouldn't. I would tell my producer this morning of, my, of the show, of the uh, radio show, that in the end, when years have gone by, we, wouldn't we be surprised or would it be shocking to find out that Obama was still running the government? He was down in the basement in a headset. He running the... He's still in office even though we think he's gone. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to find out if if uh, if Obama and, and the people who uh, and particularly the you know, the the team around him that was helping him run the show. Yeah. If they had a lot of influence on it, feel the same. It does. It feels yeah. like they're there. Yeah. Well, it feels like, uh, you know. Biden feels like, you know, that uh, like like let's say your dad was a super famous writer, you know this world renowned writer wrote all these impressive books. Right. Yeah. And then, and then like the kid goes into writing and people are like, eh, it's kind of okay, <laughs> you know, but, 
I mean, his dad was pretty cool. So maybe yeah. he's, I mean, this isn't so great. That's how I feel with Biden and Obama. I feel like Biden is constantly living in the shadow of Obama's decisions. Absolutely. And he, he recalls back to that time when Obama was president and, oh, uh, you know, Barack started this and we're going to finish it. And it's like, I want, like, I don't like you very much, Joe, but I still want you to be Joe. I want you to be the president. I don't want you to try and emulate Obama, be yeah. your own man at least. And, and, uh, but I, you know, I don't know that he knows where he is most of the time. So I agree to that. I haven't seen his medical record or heard anything, but he remind me of my father. My father developed Alzheimer's before he aspired mm. and he yeah. had the same look, the scare look that Joe Biden has, the confused look and not really yes. know what's going on, but somebody's always there to direct him. Joe Biden yep. reminds me of that all the time. Yeah, I've uh, I've had a couple relatives with dementia and Alzheimer's, and yeah, that that vacant look. Yeah, where where they're, they they suddenly find themselves somewhere yeah. and they don't know why why they're there, and it's uh it's awful to watch with a loved one. With a president, it's downright terrifying to watch. I'm telling you, man, especially since he's the president of the United States. So listen, I gotta heat this up and put you on the hot okay. seat. All right. And so what I need is for you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Okay. The hot seat. True or false, Black, Life Ma- Black Lives Matter was founded by a group of fat, black, radical, communist lesbians. 100% true. <laughs> Do you love the great white hope? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And will you vote for him in 2020? I mean, 2024. I think I will. How much longer will Prince Harris and Meghan last? Uh, forever, because she's got him whipped. What is a man? Uh, a man is someone with an XY chromosome who also stands up for his own convictions. Would you, uh, do you love white people? Yeah. Would you marry? Uh, uh, so you are married. I have to know you are married. Would your wife call you an alpha male or beta male? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope an alpha male. <laughs> what is love? Uh, baby, don't hurt me. Will Elon Musk make Twitter great again? God, I hope so. He can't make it much worse. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, sir. Do you support abortion? No. Do you support same-sex marriage? Uh, I support people's ability to do whatever they want, but if you're going to ask me to define marriage, it's between man, woman, and God. It's the Pope tit. <laughs> I don't know if the Pope is ticked. I, I don't care much for this Pope, so I don't really care what he does. Did you have fun? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for taking on the hot seat. I really, really enjoyed talking to you, man. Tell the folks how to... Uh, get to watch your, your channel and whatever else you're promoting. Sure. You can, uh, you can find me on YouTube, on Twitter and on Twitch at Ricada law. It's the same on all of them and, uh, come hang out. Uh, I do a live show every weeknight at 11 PM central. Um, and then when the trial, when trials come up, we, uh, we watch the trials. So, uh, that, that changes the schedule a little bit, but, uh, yeah, come hang out, uh, tell jokes, Find free speech again and find a find a, a big chat full of people who uh, who will happy, happily call you all sorts of terrible names. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. <laughs> well, thanks for coming out. One last question. Do you have to get permission from the courts to stream what's happening on the inside there? Yeah, right now, uh, basically, the any media organization can, uh, for a particular case, can make a request of the court to say, hey, this case is in the public interest. We want to put a camera in the courtroom um, and then the, the judge gets to, I guess, assess the argument and, and decide if they want to have a camera in the courtroom or not. Well, you did a um, great you did a great job, man. You really, really did. I, thank I, you. I mean, I, I, I'm going over the work last night, preparing for the show. You did an amazing job with that. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, people really seem to resonate with it. So I, I can see why. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. 
Let me hear from you. Don't forget to ring the bell. Don't forget to hit the the the, uh, the uh, click the little button there on the subscription for the subscribe star. Check out our merch, and I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. I've been wanting to do your show forever. I, really? I think you're I think you're the best interviewer on the entire planet, hands down. That's amazing. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's yeah. a gift from God. I don't know where I came up with that. I'm uneducated, I'm black and slow, and yet he caused something like that to happen. I'm grateful. I think you're a lot uh, a lot faster than you think. <laughs> <laughs> or at least than you express. <laughs> <laughs>